Today's episode is brought to you by Get Your Guide. Want to make your next trip unforgettable? There's an easy way to do that. Book a Get Your Guide travel experience. No matter where your travels take you, Get Your Guide offers the best way to connect with your destination. Choose from over 100,000 travel experiences in the U.S. and around the world with Get Your Guide. Whether it's the Sherlock Holmes tour in London, the night helicopter flight over Las Vegas, or whitewater rafting in the Grand Canyon, whatever you're into, you'll find an experience you love. Discover and book your next unforgettable travel experience at GetYourGuide.com. Hi, I'm Vanessa Bayer, and this is my brother Jonah. And we are so excited to have you hear the latest season of our nostalgia-themed podcast, How Did We Get Weird? Not only do you get to know me and my brother, you get to know the stories that made us the absolutely rad people we are today. Like you, Jonah, who's a music person and also a mental health counselor. And you, Vanessa, who is an actress, comedian, and I think you even wrote a children's book. Wow. I sure did. Check out our episodes where we've welcomed hilarious guests like our friend Andy Samberg. That's it. That's really it. And Queen Casey Wilson. I really went cart before the horse. I said, I think I have an opportunity to interview Leonardo DiCaprio. (laughs) As a high school student. Plus legendary sisters Amber Ruffin and Lacey Lamar. You would pull the bag out and then we would eat the, eat all the leftover, leftover chocolate chips, which was a lot. Then you'd roll the barrel up up the hill. And then one of us would get inside the barrel and they'd push you down. And we've also had an amazing guest like Mike the Miz, Jason Isbell, Carrie Brownstein and Corinne Tucker of Slater Kinney, and many more. And you do not want to miss out on our funny segments like Change.Dork. <laughs> Change.Dork. And congratulations, you played yourself. Congratulations, you played yourself. Listen to our podcast, How Did We Get Weird, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's Chelsea Handler, and if you listen to my podcast, Dear Chelsea, you know that I love making space for women to share their stories. And that is why I'm excited to be part of Women Take the Mic, iHeartRadio's celebration of women who make music, influence change, and create culture. All month long, your favorite voices from talk radio, music, and podcasting will highlight the remarkable achievements made by women and discuss the most significant issues facing us today. Search Women Take the Mic to listen to a collection of International Women's Day episodes from iHeart's top podcasts, including Angela Yee's Lip Service, The Psychology of Your 20s, and Dear Chelsea. It is a great way to support women and discover your new favorite show. Head to iHeartRadio.com slash Women's Day for more and listen to Women Take the Mic on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fans in the UK, Robert Lamb here with a really important message. If you're a listener in the UK, you will stop receiving new episodes in this feed after July 31st, 2023. But don't worry, you can still listen to the show. All you have to do is switch over to the brand new Stuff to Blow Your Mind UK podcast feed and subscribe there. So no cause for alarm, it's just a click away. The feed is called Stuff to Blow Your Mind UK, and it's already live, so you can subscribe right away. And as a little incentive for making the switch, we're including a UK-exclusive Monster Fact episode for you, and this episode will be ad-free. So please don't wait. You might forget. Head on over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify and search for Stuff to Blow Your Mind UK and subscribe today. And be sure to remind any friends who listen in the UK to do the same so you don't miss a single episode. Thanks for listening. Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, a production of iHeartRadio. 
Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind listener mail. My name is Robert Lamb. And my name is Joe McCormick. And it is Monday, the day of each week we read back messages from the Stuff to Blow Your Mind mailbox, mailbag, email address. It is contact at stufftoblowyourmind.com. You can always get in touch with us if you have feedback to a recent episode, if you have corrections, questions, uh, interesting things you want to add to a topic we talked about, or if you want to suggest a topic for the future on the show, uh, send it on in. Contact at stuff to blow your mind.com. Real quick, UK listeners, I know you probably just heard a, a promo for it. You may have heard it a couple of times, but for real, this is like the last day. Uh, <laughs> go, go sign up for the Stuff to Blow Your Mind UK podcast feed in Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Uh, just the last time we're going to be able to reach you on this, this particular feed in the UK. Yeah, that feed is exactly the same as this one. You're just going to stop getting new episodes in this one. Uh, in the UK. So the solution is very simple. Just look for Stuff to Blow Your Mind UK, sign up for that one. It's exactly the same and keep listening. All right. Now, now that we got the business out of the way, yeah, let's, let's, let's start getting into that mailbag. All right. Well, maybe I'm going to kick things off with uh, some responses to our series on mud. Uh, Rob, do you mind if I do this one from Lee? Go for it. Lee says, greetings, Rob, Joe, and JJ. Your recent episodes on mud reminded me of a couple of things from my childhood. Growing up in rural Virginia, we had mud daubers. Oh, yeah, we talked about these uh, in the episodes. Rob, you revealed the fact that I don't think I knew this before, that these are parasitic wasps. The mud daubers, like, they they fill up their little mud uh, uh, sarcophagi with with, like, paralyzed dead spiders for their young to feed on. Yep, they got to bring the meat back for the young. Well, Lee says, uh, we often knocked the nests off the underside of our porch and the rafters of our shed. Several times during the summers, we'd have a couple of fresh nests where the mud was still soft and damp. They were constructed in courses, not unlike a mud version of 3D printing. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, I remember dismantling these nests on occasion and separating out some of the sedated spiders that had been imprisoned. While they did not revive, they did move around some. I love the way Lee is just painting a supervillain origin story flashback. (laughs) It's like the Joker as a child, uh, you know, poking at paralyzed wasps. Anyway, uh, uh, another... (laughs) Well, he's he's not hurting the the, the spiders here. Yeah. I should have said spiders, yeah. He's just uh, observing, observing what the wasps have wrought. That's right. That's curiosity. It's nature. Uh, Another mud construction we often saw uh, were the chimneys built by crayfish in our yard. They were an everyday occurrence during the summer since we had a drainage creek in our yard. Uh, And then Lee attaches a link to an article. I actually got very interested in this, so I was looking for articles as well. I dug up a post on an Ohio State University blog maintained by a professor named Joe Boggs uh, that seems to have a lot to do with, like, uh, gardening and stuff. But it is covering the topic of these burrowing crayfish chimneys. And, Rob, I've attached a couple of pictures in the document here for you to look at. So they, uh, yeah, some people call them chimneys. They kind of look like little mud volcano mounds. Yeah, yeah, I've definitely seen these before out and about. They instantly recognize them. They they stand out in the landscape. I don't think I would have recognized that this was made by a crayfish. So according to Boggs, 
you find crayfish chimneys like this in uh, kind of surprising locations. Like I would expect you'd see it on the banks of a stream, like right there where the water is. But apparently they can pop up in the middle of fields as long as those fields are like poorly drained areas with a high water table. Uh, Boggs writes, quote, burrowing crayfish in Ohio belong to one of two genera in the family Cambaridae. Uh, Cambarus and Phallocambarus. These land lobsters are sometimes referred to as terrestrial crayfish, owing to their lack of a direct connection to bodies of water. However, just like their aquatic cousins, these crayfish use gills to extract oxygen from water. Unlike their water-soaked cousins, burrowing crayfish spend most of their lives on land. So that's curious. They breathe water, but they live on land. How does that work? Well, apparently, even though they're not living in the water, they access water for the purpose of breathing, of obtaining oxygen by digging down to the groundwater. And that's why they make these burrows in poorly drained areas, places with a high water table. So these crayfish make these muddy burrows. They dig them out with their their claws and, uh, and pile up the mud around the entrances. And they usually leave their burrows at night to forage for food. They're omnivorous. So the menu includes uh, basically whatever you got, plant or animal, living or dead, whatever they can eat. And uh, Boggs describes how these chimneys can dry in the sun and become very hard and brick-like, which proves a big problem when you hit one with a lawnmower. Ooh. Oh, man, I bet. Yeah, I've never been in a position to do that. But th this is fascinating, the whole idea about them yeah, living uh, on the, the land, but having to go down and find water in order to breathe. They're, they're basically reverse dolphins. <laughs> That's yeah, reverse. Yeah, reverse marine mammals. Anyway, Lee says, your mention of safety films put me in mind of the old driver's education films we were shown in the classroom. Looking online, I found a couple of websites as well as the Internet Archive where some of these can be found. And then Lee attaches some links along with a trigger warning as some of these included pretty gruesome crash footage. And then Lee says, I don't know when exactly they stopped showing these films, but they were alive and well when I was in high school driver's ed in the late 70s. Always look forward to the next topic on tap from the Stuff to Blow Your Mind team. Thank you. Sincerely, Lee. Well, thanks for the message, Lee. I remember some uh, incredibly cheesy videos uh, that w we had to watch when I was in driver's ed also. Though the strange thing is I remember like there were more films about the dangers of drinking and driving than there were about like how to drive a car. And I was just like, okay, so like assuming I'm not planning on drinking and driving anyway, I, I could be getting a lot more out of this class. Hmm, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I don't remember what I watched in driver's ed. I, I assume we watched something. Um, but uh, I haven't seen a lot of these. Like, the, basically, the only safety films I've seen, aside from, of course, um, uh, Shake Hands with Danger and, uh, and uh, what, the, the aforementioned, uh, what is it, Forklift Driver Klaus, um, have been the, the ones that have been featured as shorts on Mystery Science Theater 3000 in the past mm -hmm. and maybe a few riff tracks here and there. There's one I remember very vividly that is uh, about how even if you are old and you think that you can handle your liquor because you've been drinking for many years you still are impaired after you drink so it showed a guy like drinking alcohol and then getting on a golf cart and then driving the golf cart off the the golf pathway hmm. again i i think like most of the people in this class were like 15 so yeah that's some confusing messaging like shouldn't like maybe that needs to be in a video aimed at like older drivers or golfers yeah. i don't know 
All right, here's another mud one. Uh, this one comes to us from Eric. Eric says, Hi, Robin Joe. Great episodes on mud and mud-related stuff. Regarding Arnold, one thing <laughs> that occurred to me years ago was not so much whether the mud, we're talking about Predator, by the way, of course, uh, not so much whether the mud would have hidden him from the Predator, but whether the Predator's infrared vision would actually work very well to detect warm-blooded organisms in a sweltering Central American jungle. What kind of temperature resolution does the Predator's vision have? Can he easily distinguish between the 95-degree ground and the 99-degree human? I guess he can because he did. This is a great question. Yeah, and this is one that, you know, I didn't do a lot of deep, deep research into this, and I didn't re-watch the sequence, but one of the write-ups that I was looking at was alluding to the fact that, okay, the, the Predator has natural infrared vision, but it is not as focused. And he has those, some of those technological filters we see are about him better adapting his already inhuman vision for this specialized terrestrial environment. I, yeah, I don't know exactly how the math would work out, but I, I very much see Eric's point here. Uh, so they specify in the movie that the predator comes to the Central American jungle, which is going to be very hot and very humid. So he's coming to a place with high heat and high humidity. And uh, they say that he only comes in the hottest years. So uh, that that seems kind of backwards, right? Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be easier for him to hunt to going to like the coldest place that humans are? I mean, I guess he's not really here for an easy time, though. He's supposed to be this a challenge. Uh, okay. super warrior game hunter, right? Uh, yeah. You know, so he's drawn to places like like the jungle during uh, you know some sort of a war environment. He's drawn to 1990. Uh, no, I'm sorry, 1997 Los Angeles. Um, that was the future uh, uh, of Los Angeles as presented in the 1990 film Predator 2. Predator 2, I recall they put like, is some kind of color filter on that film that makes it look like it's 148 degrees Fahrenheit in Los Angeles. Yeah. Like the sides of the buildings are, are vaguely red. Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure how it, how it actually matched up to the summer of 97 offhand, but I mean, uh, we were living in a pretty hot summer right now. So I guess they're just predators out there nonstop. Yeah. It may be too hot for them. Predator drops into Phoenix and is just like, I don't know. I just don't know if I can do this. I quit. Yeah. Anyway, Eric continues. Related to mud pots and mud volcanoes, I thought you might be interested to hear about the only known moving mud pot in the world located in California's Imperial Valley, just north of Mexicali. Over the last few years, this mud pot has traveled several miles, endangering an important highway and a rail line. A possible cause is that a hot spring deep underground is located under a large rock plate that is slowly shifting due to the frequent earthquakes in the area. So the spring is pushing hot mud up at an angle that is gradually changing. The area is rife with geothermal activity, including several geothermal power generators and a burgeoning lithium and rare earth mud extraction industry. I think this is referring to the same uh, moving mud puddle that we talked about in, was it the last listener mail episode? I'm not sure, uh, but in, in a recent one. But yeah, I, I mean, I guess it would have to be the same one since there seems to only be one moving mud puddle. So this is the Nyland, uh, N-I-L-A-N-D, mud puddle. Again, look that up if you haven't seen it. And Eric continues once more. Uh, also, related to your mention of Dracula on the moon, have you ever encountered the webcomic Dr. McNinja? It's weird and funny enough that it might just strike your fancy. There is one issue, 
season, uh, question mark, in which Dr. McNinja battles Dracula, who has a base on the moon. Incidentally, would vampires be affected by exposure to vacuum? I don't think they need to breathe, and thus they wouldn't risk rupturing their lungs. And if they are exposed slowly, any gases in their bodies would dissipate, so they would not swell up. Also, I've never heard the verb to vamp before. Is that common parlance? Whether or not uh, I love it, and I am going to use it from now on. Thanks again for your great work, Eric. Thanks for the message, Eric. Um, I thought vamp was a verb, and not just in the musical sense. Uh, you know, when you bite somebody, turn them into a vampire, that's vamping them, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. I don't think I made that up. Also known as dracking, I guess you could Dracking, yes. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Just throwing that out there. Uh, I'm not familiar with Dr. McNinja, but this anyway, anything with, with Dracula on a moon base sounds good. As for the rules of vampires in space, well, a lot of great minds have, have, have tackled this topic, but I guess a lot of it comes down to exactly what your slice of, uh, of, of the vampire myth or you know, some sort of speculative biology is going to be. Very important question. Does Blade need to breathe oxygen? I think he does, doesn't he? I believe so. I've never, I don't remember ever seeing anything that indicated he, he didn't. No daywalkers on the moon, <laughs> but perhaps full undead. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season remind us to embrace change and fearlessly look toward the future. Like Andrew Jarecki, award-winning filmmaker and creator of MovieFone. The studios didn't really control the theaters. The theaters didn't control the studios. And I thought, well, there's a window in here where I could make things easier for the consumer and also make something that would be very useful for the industry. Or Kellen Kenny, Chief Marketing and Growth Officer at AT AT&T, who installed fiber in customers' houses rather than leading from afar. It is so crucial that you spend time with the customers. That is the best lesson. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Alec Baldwin. This past season on my podcast, Here's the Thing, I spoke with more actors, musicians, policymakers, and so many other fascinating people, like actress and director Cheryl Hines. They were looking for an unknown actress (laughs) to play Larry David's wife. I said, well, how old is that guy? Isn't he old? (laughs) And author David Sedaris. You know, like when you meet somebody and they'll say, well, I want to be a writer or I want to be an artist. And I say, well, is it all you care about? Because if it's not, it's going to be pretty hard for you. If you're not on fire, it's like opening the door of an oven. And it's like, wow, you know, you take a step back 
It's all they think about. It's all they talk about. It's all they care about. They don't have relationships. They're not good friends for other people. This is just what they're all their energy focused goes, on. Yeah. yeah. Listen to the new season of Here's the Thing on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, well, it sounds like we're already venturing into Weird House territory here. Um, do we have any Weird House uh, listener mail to read? Why, yes, uh, we have uh, several here. Oh, uh, I'm going to read this one from Carrie. Carrie says, Rob and Joe, I've gotten a bit behind on my listening, and I've just finished the fourth episode on mud. You mentioned science fiction treatments of mud, but I don't think you mentioned X the Unknown, and I wondered if you were aware of it. It's a 1956 British movie that is all about the mud. It's set in rural Scotland, and the premise is that a large, deep crack appears suddenly in the ground, and soon a huge, sentient, radioactive mass of mud, a true mud monster, comes and goes in and out of the hole. It feeds on radioactive elements and grows significantly every time it encounters some. Its nightly forays are in search of food, and it causes death and destruction along its path. Oh, wow, I'm already seeing some uh, some parallels to the, the burrowing crayfish here. You know, mound of mud comes out of the earth, yeah, nocturnal yeah. foraging, yeah, omnivorous. <laughs> Carrie goes on, a scientist has to figure out a way to defeat the monster before it can reach a nuclear power plant and grow large enough to begin to take over the world. I like the movie and feel it's Weird House Cinema material, but even if you don't use it, you should check it out before if you haven't, uh, if you haven't seen it. Uh, thanks for the great work, Carrie. Well, thank you, Carrie. I think you neglected to mention that this is a Hammer film. Mm. Always, a, always a, a good, a good sign. Yeah, it was written by Jimmy Sangster, the same guy who wrote the original Hammer Dracula in 1958 with Christopher Lee as Drac and uh, Peter Cushing as Van Helsing. Also, same guy wrote the 1959 Hammer Mummy, which starred Christopher Lee as the Mummy and Peter Cushing as. I don't know, some British guy who is opposed by the mummy. Um, but that one is more notable to me as a poster than as a film. The The 59 Mummy has a really great poster where, like, a police officer is shining a flashlight at the yeah. mummy's back and it pierces through the mummy as if it were a shadow. That's a great poster. I can, I, I'm not even looking at it right now and I can, I remember it clearly in my mind. It's hanging next to me on the wall right now. Oh, okay. Speaking of posters, X the Unknown, I looked up the poster. It has a very unusual looking poster. I don't feel like the color scheme makes a lot of sense. It's like a red, white, and blue color scheme. I just that's that's not the palette for a horror poster. Hmm. Yeah, I know what you mean. And I think this is one of like the title doesn't really give much give me much to go on. It certainly doesn't have, say anything about mud. There's nothing on the on the poster that really calls out to me. I, I had to look this one up. It sounds like it was at some point going to be a quarter mass picture. Um, yeah, this is like a whole, you know, franchise of films about Professor Bernard Quartermass, And I haven't seen most of, of them and I haven't seen the, uh, the, the TV series, but Quartermass in the pit from 67 is, is great. Um, so at some point I, I would, it would be interesting to come in and, and watch either a quarter mass film or, or one of these sort of related films in this genre. Rob, I have to note, because I, I think I spent my entire life saying quartermass, but when I zoom in on the word, it appears it is quatermass. Uh, it's quatermass. Oh, my goodness. Bernard right. quatermass. I mean, I've said quartermass probably a million times. 
Yep, I've just been seeing that uh, invisible R in there this yeah. whole time. Okay, Quatermass and the Pit, if you will. Uh, we'll get it right if we do, if we do one of these films. Uh, speaking of British franchises and um, mud monsters, I do want to also mention real quick that Susan in the Stuff to Blow Your Mind discussion module, which you can join as well if you just shoot us an email, we'll send you the information about how to join, points out that one of the recent uh, seasons of Doctor Who, I think Series 11, uh, had some sort of mud monsters running about. So so uh, you, uh, you Doctor Who fans out there, uh, we are now aware. Yeah, Doctor Who has a lot of monsters. That would be a really rich well if I knew it, but I've only seen a very little bit of Doctor Who, so I, I'm mo- I'm mostly ignorant on that. Yeah, same. I, I dip into it a little bit every now and then when I visit my, my wife's uncle and aunt, who are big Doctor Who fans, and I'll watch a little bit of old Doctor Who. Usually the really old stuff, but I, and I'm really not up on the more recent uh, adventures. But it does look like a lot of fun. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll get in there one day. All right. Here's another one. This one comes to us from uh, Aldrin. Aldrin writes in and says, Hi, Robert and Joe. Wonderful episode on Piranamandir. Loved it. I can't remember if I've ever watched this movie as a kid. We used to watch a lot of Bollywood movies, but they were typically love romances with some drama. The horror genre was not mainstream at the time, so I probably missed this movie. Wanted to say a couple of things in general. Number one, like you mentioned, almost all of these movies had to have a few musical numbers. Some movies even had a very feeble story, and only the songs were what attracted audiences. Songs were almost never sung by the actors, but by actual solo singers. These solo singers would often have very successful careers as a solo artist singing for numerous movies. We would even have MTV-type programs with just the musical sequences from the movies. Huh, interesting. Now, the next point Aldrin shares is uh, interesting because we were asking for uh, Hindi speakers to to weigh in on this. In the movie, there was something that in the subtitles kept being translated as Satan, but the religious context of the movie is Hindu. And uh, and so and and also I thought I heard in the in the Hindi audio people saying a word that sounded like Shaitan or something like that. And so we were asking, what is the significance of this word in in the cultural context? Like, it probably wouldn't mean exactly the Christian Satan. So, like, what is it they're talking about? Right. And so Aldrin writes, about the word Shaitan, as far as I know, this means devil. I don't think it refers to Satan unless they are etymologically derived from the same thing. Shaitan is the word often used to admonish mischievous children. Mm. So its meaning is more towards devil than Satan. Just wanted to point it out. Love your podcast. Keep rocking. Cheers, Aldrin. Oh, thank you very much, Aldrin. Okay, so that makes sense. Like, if you would admonish unruly children by calling them uh, little little shaitans, like they're they're being little demons, they're being little imps. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that would make sense. That it means more just like a wicked creature, or wicked spirit of some kind. Yeah. Well, thanks again, Aldrin. All right, I'm going to finish us off today with this message from Joe, also about Piranha Mondir. Uh, This is uh, from Joe. That's just J-O, not J-O-E. Joe says, Joe and Robert, in the Weird House episode of Piranha Mondir, you mentioned that the characters would say a line in Hindi, then repeat it in English, and wondered if it was a cultural thing. In my experience, it is a bilingual slash multilingual quirk. 
Uh, Malaysians speak anywhere from two to six languages, and it is not uncommon for us to say something, then repeat it in several other languages for emphasis or comedic effect. The same appears to be true in Singapore, Indonesia, and the Philippines. Oh, okay. That, that, that makes sense. Uh, oh, but interestingly, Joe then pivots here to some responses to our, uh, our Dreamfall series. Oh, nice. She says, on another note, I learned to lucid dream as a teen in order to escape frequent nightmares. However, realizing that you're in a dream and actually waking up are two vastly different things. I've gotten trapped inside my nightmares before, knowing for sure that it was not reality. But every time I tried to wake up, I'd sit up in my bed and realize I was still asleep because of some detail that was out of sorts, i.e. the furniture was wrong, it was the wrong bedroom, I was holding something that I don't usually bring to bed, etc. It usually took me a few tries to actually wake up, and the sensation was like fighting through mud or trying to swim against a strong current of water. Although I dreamt less and less as I got older, and now I rarely recall my dreams, the ability to wake myself up whenever I want has proved handy a few times. And then finally, uh, Joe ends with a reference to the Butterfly Dream poem by uh, Zhuang Zhou and a meme about it, which is, I don't know, what, what do you call this meme? The guy like releasing a butterfly or gesturing toward a butterfly? Yeah, I don't know exactly what you call it in sort of like memeology, I guess, but you, you see this one a lot. And we got the labels. One is, uh, one is uh, I guess sometimes this guy's name is pronounced different ways. Sometimes it's Zhuangzi. Uh, I've heard it uh, Zhuangzhou. Uh, so you got uh, Zhuangzi or Zhuangzhou and then a butterfly labeled as a butterfly. And then the bottom text is, is this a man? Uh, <laughs> Joe finishes, much love a butterfly dreaming of being Joe. Well, thanks for the email, Joe. And you know what? This made me think that the butterfly dream is one of those literary objects that I I'm very familiar with in principle, but not actually in text. I don't know if I'd ever read the original text of it. So I decided to look up a translation of the original text. Uh, so the Butterfly Dream passage uh, attributed to a, a traditional Chinese author named Zhuangzhou. Uh, it is from a Chinese text dating back to the Warring States period. I think it's usually placed in the third century BCE. And the text is usually just referred to eponymously, like by the author's name. So it's known as the Zhuangzhou or the Zhuangzi. Um, and it is a book of Taoist wisdom containing a bunch of anecdotes and parables that demonstrate the ideal Taoist way of seeing the world. So I wanted to start by reading this, uh, the translation of the Butterfly Passage by Burton Watson, which goes like this. Once Zhuangzhou dreamt he was a butterfly a butterfly flitting and fluttering around, happy with himself and doing as he pleased. He didn't know he was Zhuangzhou. Suddenly, he woke up, and there he was, solid and unmistakable, Zhuangzhou. But he didn't know if he was Zhuangzhou, who had dreamt he was a butterfly, or a butterfly dreaming he was Zhuangzhou. Between Zhuangzhou and a butterfly, there must be some distinction. This is called the transformation of things. Hmm. I like that last little line that, like, gives some terminology. <laughs> it's an interesting idea of sort of, like, intellectual completeness on it added by that sentence. I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I, I feel like I've, I've seen this form in, in, uh, in Chinese writing before. I'm not sure mm -hmm. exactly what, what to call this style, but, uh, but it is familiar. 
Uh, but anyway, while I was looking at the Burton Watson translation of uh, various passages in the in this text, I came across another one that I thought was really interesting. And I think we may have alluded to part of uh, to a story discussed in this passage before, maybe when we talked about the Hundun in the uh, in the episodes we did on the, the classic of Mountains and Seas. Yes. Yeah, we did talk about this a little bit. Then. Yeah, but it's been a while. Well, uh, allow me to read this passage if you don't mind. Go for it. Do not be an embodier of fame. Do not be a storehouse of schemes. Do not be an undertaker of projects. Do not be a proprietor of wisdom. Embody to the fullest what has no end, and wander where there is no trail. Hold on to all that you have received from heaven, but do not think you have gotten anything. Be empty. That is all. The perfect man uses his mind like a mirror, going after nothing, welcoming nothing, responding, but not storing. Therefore, he can win out over things and not hurt himself. And then it transitions to a, to a little narrative. It says, The emperor of the South Sea was called Shu, meaning brief. The emperor, the emperor of the North Sea was called Hu, meaning sudden. And the emperor of the Central Region was called Hundun, chaos. Shu and Hu, from time to time, came together for a meeting in the territory of Hundun, and Hundun treated them very generously. Shu and Hu discussed how they could repay his kindness. All men, they said, have seven openings so they can see, hear, eat, and breathe. But Hundun alone doesn't have any. Let's try boring him some. Every now, day, I should, I should jump in here for a second and just, if you're not familiar with this story, the Hundun is often depicted as kind of this amorphous, fleshy creature, uh, like yeah. a quadrupedal creature. Um, so um, I, I think it helps to sort of picture something like that uh, before we get to the actual boring of the thing. Then <laughs> the last line is, every day they bored another hole, and on the seventh day, Hundun died. And so, yeah, Hundun is this creature without any, without a face, without any holes. They bore all the holes in him. And so I think it is supposed to be a lesson against uh, trying to over-engineer your will on the way of things. And instead, you should sort of like let things be according to their nature. Yeah. And I guess you could take this into the future and like in a kind of like transhuman direction uh, and be like, if, if someone comes along and they're like, we need more sensory inputs for human beings. Well, remind them of this story. In which, in which in which case the, the the poor hundun died because they tried to they thought it needed more sensory inputs i think it was in the episode on the the classic of the mountains and seas that um uh, am i getting the name of that right that was the name of that text I we talked so. about mm -hmm. yeah uh the 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 illustration in the the text we had of the hundun where it looked kind of like a like a cushion with legs yeah yeah and also, by the way, you see this basic creature design pop up in the, the Marvel movie uh, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Oh, okay. That's a good one. I, I highly recommend that one. One of my favorite uh, MCU films that has come out. I would be tempted by any movie that has a Hundun. Next Predator franchise film, Predator versus Hundun. <laughs> no, don't throw the Hundun against the, against the Predator. All right. Well, we'll go and close out this episode of Listener Mail, but we'd love to hear from everyone out there. Just a reminder that our core episodes are on Tuesdays and Thursdays, Listener Mail on Mondays, Short Form Artifact and Monster Fact on Wednesdays. And on Friday, we set aside most serious concerns to just talk about a weird film on Weird House Cinema. Huge thanks to our excellent audio producer, J.J. Posway. If you would like to get in touch with us with feedback on this episode or any other, to suggest a topic for the future, or just to say hello, you can email us at contact at stufftoblowyourmind.com. 
Stuff to Blow Your Mind is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts are wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hi, I'm Vanessa Bayer, and this is my brother, Jonah. And we are so excited to have you hear the latest season of our nostalgia-themed podcast, How Did We Get Weird? Not only do you get to know me and my brother, you get to know the stories that made us the absolutely rad people we are today. Like you, Jonah, who's a music person and also a mental health counselor. And you, Vanessa, who is an actress, comedian, and I think you even wrote a children's book. Wow. I sure did. Check out our episodes where we've welcomed hilarious guests like our friend Andy Samberg. That's it. That's really it. And Queen Casey Wilson. I really went cart before the horse. I said, I think I have an opportunity to interview Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh as a high school student. Plus legendary sisters Amber Ruffin and Lacey Lamar. Top. You would pull the bag out and then we would eat okay. the eat all the leftover the leftover chocolate chips, which was a lot. Then you'd roll the oh, barrel up so to fun. up the hill. And then one of us would get inside the barrel and they'd push you down. And we've also had an amazing guests like Mike the Miz, Jason Isbell, Carrie Brownstein and Corin Tucker of Slater Kinney, and many more. And you do not want to miss out on our funny segments like Change.Dork. <laughs> Change.Dork. And congratulations, you played yourself. Congratulations, you played yourself. Listen to our podcast, How Did We Get Weird, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's Chelsea Handler, and if you listen to my podcast, Dear Chelsea, you know that I love making space for women to share their stories. And that is why I'm excited to be part of Women Take the Mic, iHeartRadio's celebration of women who make music, influence change, and create culture. All month long, your favorite voices from talk radio, music, and podcasting will highlight the remarkable achievements made by women and discuss the most significant issues facing us today. Search Women Take the Mic to listen to a collection of International Women's Day episodes from iHeart's top podcasts, including Angela Yee's Lip Service, The Psychology of Your 20s, and Dear Chelsea. It is a great way to support women and discover your new favorite show. Head to iHeartRadio.com slash Women's Day for more and listen to Women Take the Mic on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, for years, we have humbly celebrated Women's History Month at QLS with a full month of fantastic female guests. This year, we say with pride that we have four multi-talented, award-winning ladies who kick down barriers. I'm talking Brittany Howard, Corinne Bailey Ray, and the incredible choreographer Fatima Robinson, and as well as Lettucey. Listen to QLS on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.